Bethel World Outreach Church. Reaching a city to touch the world. Okay. Well, almost Merry Christmas to everyone. Um, I'm typically somewhere in the world, Kathy and I. Maybe it's my fourth time in church this year. I can't remember here, so it's just so great to be here. Always great to be home. We've been in a series entitled The Gift on gift giving. What are the great gifts God gave us? He gave us his word. He gave us his spirit. This year was to be the gift of his son this week, but I'm going to talk a bit about one of the great gifts his son gave us instead. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your word, that you inspired the authors of this word and you quicken it to us. And I pray as we examine both the person and the promise of Christ today that we would not just have information, that you'd make it revelation and transform us. Amen. I want to talk about an improbable promise. In fact, when the shepherds heard it, they wouldn't have used this word, but they had to wonder it was a misnomer. It just didn't make sense. I'm entitled this message, Peace on Earth. How many of that just seems impossible? Peace on Earth, a promise beyond comprehension. After introducing it, I'm going to break this simple message into three parts. I want to talk about what inspires me to believe that peace is possible on this planet. What inspires me to believe that? And why is it important, not just at the spiritual level, but at the neurochemical level, the psychological level that I get this? Why is that so important? Lastly, I wanna give you four very simple steps to practically implement this and experience it when you get home. When the angel came to the shepherds, and soon it would go from one angel to a myriad, thousands, millions of angels, the first thing he said, one of the first things he said, or last, really was, glory to God in the highest heaven. That's believable. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. That promise is very simply this. There are humans to whom God's favor rests through salvation, that can experience peace no matter where they're living, what they're facing, and what's happening on the inside of them. Let me set the context for you. They were in the Roman province of Judea. No one up until that time had been slaughtered and massacred like the Jews. In the 700s, the Assyrian Empire had come down, ethnically cleansed them, forcibly deported them. In the 500s, the Babylonians had come down three separate times, finally burned Jerusalem, burned the temple, stole the vessels of the temple, raped, enslaved, and killed. And now they're under Roman domination. In 63 BC, the famous Roman general Pompey had come and conquered Jerusalem after a brief, brief siege. He defiled the Holy of Holies by walking into it, must have gotten frightened the next day, ordered it cleansed. He's the one that crossed the Sea of Galilee and started what they call the Decapolis, 10 Romanized cities. 
Rome was at times lenient with them, but whenever they'd rebel, they'd be crushed. The, their horizons could be dotted with crosses. In fact, a few short years later in 70 AD, the Roman army would come down once again, besiege Jerusalem, slaughter thousands, enslave thousands, and totally destroy the temple. 132 AD, they'd rebel again, they'd lose and be forbidden to even come into the environs of Jerusalem for years. How's peace possible? And it, who was the promise given to? Shepherds. We have all these kind of Christmasized view of shepherds. In reality, they were the lowest rung on the social class. They were considered to be such liars and thieves that if you would ask one of them to testify in court, the court would not even have received it. They're hated. How could the angel say you could have peace? What's the secret to that? How can we experience the peace of God when it does not make sense? You have to understand the work of the Holy Spirit to fully understand this. Pastor James talked last Sunday about his gift and people came and were prayed for and that's a wonderful thing but sometimes we make so much of the Holy Spirit's gifts we miss the fact and forget the fact there are these things in the Bible called his fruits. That's things he can produce in a human. It says in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That means regardless of your circumstances, regardless even of the DNA strands that make up who you are, or how you read reality epigenetically, Jesus can produce peace in you. He has the power to produce peace no matter what you're experiencing this morning, no matter what you're going to be facing when you walk out these doors. And I can tell you for me, I, I love preaching this message because when I get back in the car, there are all kinds of crises I need to respond to, all kinds of things I'm facing. Now, I want to stop for a moment before I plunge down into these three points. During the first service, the Lord spoke to me about some people who were suicidal, and it's the holidays and it's hard, but he spoke to me very specifically. And I met with four people after the service, a couple of which were in dire straits. I felt to do the same in this service because there are some of you here, your mind is not just bombarded with suicidal thoughts. You've either come very close to attempting it or you have. One of you, even last night, was wondering if you just took a few more pills, which you have to wake up. I saw the bottle in your hand. You've taken a few more once and you woke up. I hear the Lord saying, he'll spare your life and he'll spare your soul. He sees your pain. Another you, he saw the trauma you went through before you were 10. He knows how your Christmases turn into hell. Every year, especially for the last five when you were hurt again relationally, it's gotten harder and harder for you to cope with the expectation of the holidays. And when the service is over, I'm going to be sitting right down there with Pastor Daryl. And if you're struggling with suicide, please come and see me. If you're not, don't come see me. Please leave room for those who are. I'll be right there. Now, what inspires me to believe that I can have peace? What inspires me to believe that when it's impossible to have peace, 
God's peace can touch me. I'm going to give you some promises of scripture, but I want you to know, Kathy was here the first service. I mean, she's faced cancer multiple times. They said it was in her brain, her lymph nodes. We've, we've, we've fought to see children live. I've had doctors look at me and tell me your health is destroyed. It's gone. Like, there's no hope. Quit work. And so I can tell you as someone who's walked with God a long time that no matter what you're facing, you can have peace. I remember a few years ago and I didn't, um, bothered to really tell my friends. I mentioned to my wife where my doctor thought I had cancer. I could tell. He was a young doctor. He was kind of teary. Well, I think we need to get you more tests. And, you know, we really better get this checked. You know how doctors get this certain voice when they're worried you might not be with them much longer. And so I was sitting there in his office and I just felt such a peace. I'll tell you why in a moment. I mean, my heart was so ruled by God's peace. I couldn't be anxious. I got in the car and I thought, huh, that old rascal thinks I've got cancer. I said, huh. I thought, why should I call my friend? Well, a couple of my friends, one of them was here, Stephen Mansfield, got real mad when I didn't tell him. But I thought, why tell him if I don't know? I got home and kind of told him, hey, I think the doctor thinks I have cancer. And I mean, she's been there and done that. And so, you know, I, the days go on and I, I wake up in the middle of the night and I go, my gosh, I might have cancer. I go, let me just worst case this for a moment. I might go to heaven early. Now, I wasn't putting that on. And of course I came back in and I was so happy because our youngest child had decided to go to a state school, not a private, was going to save me all kinds of money. I just overjoyed. I walk, I said, doc, I got great news for you. He goes, I got good news for yours. I said, you, yours can wait. I said, my daughter didn't go to that expensive private school. God be praised. He goes, you don't have cancer. He's in tears. I go, okay. He goes, okay. I said, Doc, I was at peace. At peace? Did you think you didn't have it? I said, didn't know, Doc. Worry would have only made it worse. Now, where's that come from? I'm no superhuman. Where's that come from? With what you're facing, where do you find it? What gives me inspiration to believe this is true? Well, we know, it says in Isaiah 9, 6, this child who's been born and given to us, the government is on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That means whoever lives under his rule, whoever comes under his authority, he has the power to declare peace over them. I love it, it says in Isaiah 26, 3, we'll talk about this more in detail. You'll keep in perfect peace, that shalom, shalom in the Hebrew, not just the absence of conflict, but peace in the middle of whatever you're facing, those whose minds are fastened on something, founded on something because they trust in you. Probably my favorite, John 14, 27. Jesus just scared him to death by telling him, I'm going back to my dad. Peace I leave with you. Okay. My peace I give you. Now, it's clear. There's your peace and his peace. He's not referring to human peace. He's referring to my peace, the peace of God, and it doesn't work like the world's works. In other words, I do not give it to you as the world gives. What's it mean? It doesn't flow out of circumstances. It flows out of me. No matter the condition of your checkbook, your family, your child, there was a person, the first I could feel they were just on the verge of bankruptcy. No matter what you're facing, Jesus says, my peace does not work like the world works, therefore don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You say that's crazy, Jim. Don't let your heart be troubled. When the peace of God begins to flood in your life, 
over the years like it has in mine, it's not peace that's a choice, it's anxiety. I've walked with God so long. I know I look young, I know I look 20, 23, give or take 40 years, that's true. And the fact of it is, over these 50-something years of being a Christian, really, I guess it's, I can't remember, 56 years of being a Christian, he's ruled me with his peace so much, in some ways, it is harder for me to lose my peace than it is to become anxious. Now, why? How's that work? What's he taught me? It says in Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which transcends my understanding. Let me just define that for you. You're peaceful and you shouldn't be. I'm not talking about the shock of hearing the big C word or the shock of a dying child seemingly and there are no answers. And the peace of God, which passes all of your understanding, will rule your hearts and minds. It'll rule your brain-mind system. Like, like, why is this important? Well, it's important because in John 16, 33, Jesus says, I'm telling you all these things, and really, I'm telling you to stay close to me because in this world, you'll have trouble. How many of you know that promise is always fulfilled? Raise your hand. In this world, you'll have trouble. But I've overcome the world. It's so important, beloved, that you have the peace of God it's so important that you learn to walk in God's peace, not just because of you, you need a few more hours sleep. It's even deeper than that. Jesus says we're not gonna look there long in Mark 4, 7 through 19. The seed of God, the seed of the gospel, the seed of his promise can fall into certain grounds. It speaks of certain things in your heart. There's the hard ground, there's the stony ground. This is the weedy ground. Weeds grow up and one of them is what? Anxiety. Anxiety will choke the life out of what God wants to do in you. It'll choke the life out of what he's doing in your family, your finances. Yet it's not just spiritual. When worry and anxiety begin to bombard you, when your mind races, many of us don't even realize internally what's happening. When that fight or flight reflex kicks on in you, what happens, beloved, is your body marshals so much energy. It marshals so much cellular power. It can affect your digestion, your heart rate. It can tear down your immune system. Um, as your adrenal glands are working overtime, you can begin to empty them very quickly. That's why some people end up in adrenal gland failure. What's the answer to that? The absence of stress? That's called heaven. What about peace and the presence of stress? And what makes this time of year so acute is we kind of have expectations it'll really be a joyful season or a peaceful season. If you wanted to implement this, if you wanted, and I've walked in God a long time, but I've had my moments where even after years of trusting him, I can be assailed. A few years ago, I spent the night in the emergency room on Father's Day with my youngest daughter. She goes, why am I always the one that takes you to the hospital? My lips were numb, my fingers were numb, my toes were numb, and I was losing my ability to breathe. 
I thought, okay, maybe I had a medicine reaction. I was have some pretty gut-wrenching things I was dealing with. I got into the emergency room and, and the Lord whispered to me, what are you doing here? I feel like saying, you can't smart off to God. I feel like saying, you know, you're omniscient. You know why I'm here. You know all the cruddy things I'm dealing with. I go, I'm, I'm real sick. He goes, you're not sick. He said, you're just worried. Go home. I thought to myself, well, why didn't you tell me before I checked in the emergency room? So I stood up. I invited all the nurses to church, thanked them. They thought, he's kind of crazy. And I went home. And when I begin to worship and give my stresses to God, by the next morning, every symptom was gone. How? Why? Talk about implementing this. I want to just give you four very simple steps, and we're going to summarize this, and I'm going to pray for you. First, lay a biblical foundation. Isaiah 26.3 says, he'll keep in perfect peace or peace, peace, a certain type of person. This promise is not based on your demographic, on your ethnicity, on your gender, on your citizenship. There are people in the world, God says, no matter what they're going through, no matter what they're facing, I will keep them in perfect peace peace. Who are these people? Their minds are steadfast. The word steadfast, an interesting word in the Hebrew, means to be founded on something, to rest on something, to be, to, um, be fastened to something. Their minds aren't just ridden back and forth. They're fastened to something. Well, fastened to what? God's word, God's promises, by God's spirit, but it's only possible because they trust in you. This is where it gets interesting. If your ultimate reliance is on anything other than God himself, the promise of peace will prove almost impossible to maintain. You see, typically we think we're living out of God when in reality we're living out of what God has done for us. He's given us good health. He's blessed our finances. He's touched our marriage. And as long as those things keep on, we're peaceful. But I'm not talking about peace based on what God's done. I'm talking about peace based on who he is. Never changes. Because they trust on you. First Peter 5 says, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I have my moments where my peace breaks down, but it's the exception, not the norm. And the reason it is, is I've learned he cares for me, not just theologically, I've learned it experientially over decades. I've buried people I loved fought and some have lived. I know what it is to be at risk with my own life. How's it happen? It says in Philippians 4, 6 through 9, which is probably the finest thing we have in Scripture about that, starts by saying, lift your burdens and anxieties to the Lord. Let me read one of the most impossible Scriptures in all the Bible. Don't be anxious about anything. How many of you know that sounds impossible? Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, a couple thousand years before any understanding of neuroscience, a couple thousand years before brain scans and understanding of things like neurogenesis in 1989, God proved he was the ultimate neuroscientist, not just through Paul, even through Ezekiel, talking about God can take away the stony patterns in your heart. Paul didn't understand this 
like as a scientist, but Paul was basically saying, if you want to stop a negative pattern, you've got to start a new pattern. We know from brain science, the only way to deal with a pattern built out inside of Christ's lordship in your mind is by starting a new one next to it. And the more you process the new one, the other one's pruned. Now watch this. Paul said, don't be anxious. Don't worry through your anxiety. Instead, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What is he saying? Stop worrying through your anxieties and worship through your anxieties. Stop worrying through your anxieties and worship through your anxieties. Why would he say that? It is because, beloved, that as we begin to worship God with our anxieties, as we start and we'll do as we, when we come to the end of the service, we begin to place the people or the situations. God, I give her to you. I give him to you. I give this to you. It's yours. I know you're gonna take care of it. It is too much for me. In fact, I thank you for taking care of it. I'm just trusting you. I'm casting this before you. Because Paul understands that worry is not simply sin. And by the way, sin aren't simply things that God doesn't like. They're things that'll wreck your soul. If God says something's wrong, it's wrong for reasons you cannot even comprehend. Paul said, listen, don't worry, worship, because if you'll worship, what we discover now is worship affects you at three levels. Worship affects you spiritually, worship affects you neurobiologically, and worship affects you psychologically, and it builds up a threefold perimeter that protects your brain mind system, that protects your whole being from the stress of living in fear and anxiety. How does this happen? What does this mean? Let me talk about spiritually first. As you know, when you were born again by the Spirit of God, you got a new name, daughter, son of God. You got new righteousness. Your sins were forgiven. The righteousness of Christ were given you. Thirdly, you got a new nature. We don't talk about that one much, but through the work of the Holy Spirit, your nature was reconnected with the Godhead, enabling the peace of God, the joy of God, the life of God to start on the inside of you and well up in you. When they, when they told us Kathy's cancer had spread to her brain many years ago and the doctor probably wasn't hired for his bedside manner. I had four small children. He said, well, we think her cancer spread to her brain, Mr. LaFoon. Go home, get a good night's sleep. I'll call you tomorrow. Thank you very much. He was a little smart, just not too much emotional IQ. When I was driving back to my small children, that peace started in here and it flowed up in the inside and choked off anxiety and left me thankful. Now, how's that happen? We know that although we're reconnected to the Trinity through salvation, it's through the spiritual disciplines as we worship, as we pray, as we wait on the Lord, as we hear him, as we have a message, as we fellowship. What happens is the Bible calls this drinking, feeding, staying close, and the peace of God and the life of God floods you. It just flows into you. Here's what we don't realize, though. As the peace of God flows into us or the joy of God flows into us, there's a neurobiological effect. One of my, one of my dear friends and really colleagues, we've written things together. He's a, a professor at Wheaton and he was one of our campus ministers years ago and he just did an internationally peer-reviewed study 
on the neurobiological realities of a monotheist, that's someone that believes into one God, worshiping. Now what happens, here's what happens, is God's peace touches you and you feel his love. If I ask how do you know you're feeling God, almost everyone would raise their hand. You don't know, you can't tell me why you know that, but these are feelings you've associated with being in God's presence. Some of them are spiritual, some of them are neurobiological. Because as you feel loved by God and touched by God, we know now that when you come into the presence of God and you're attuned to his presence, there is a biochemical cascade that takes place. All of a sudden, your brain is secreting oxytocin, prolactin, endorphins, and dopamine, all the feel-good chemicals. Some of you that know me, my dear friends here, if I, Bruce and Carol, dear to me, like Bruce is like my blood brother, I put my hand on his shoulder, his oxytocin levels are affected. He trusts me. When God comes and touches you, you are showered with feel-good chemicals. You don't even know why the God of all the universe is loving you. And that affects what? Your psychological makeup. Even though your circumstance hasn't changed, you feel more secure. You feel safer. God's got this. God loves me. Here is what's profound. Every time you choose to worship your way through your anxieties, instead of worrying your way through them, you are strengthening this new neural pattern. And as the years go by, it'll be the strongest neural pattern you have. And your first response won't be, oh me, oh my, I'm going to die. It'll be, you got this. Because you've been rewarded for decades every time you've built that pattern. Now watch me. Before I cut a little deeper here, one of the problems we have in this subject is very simply, simply this. We somehow have bought into the line that the answer to my stress is direction, when in reality, it's connection. If I knew what to do with her, do with him, the right doctor, the right answer. Well, sometimes the right answer can be as scary as well. And that's why it's connection that brings you peace, not direction. When you have fresh direction with God and you're flooded with peace, then you can hear his direction. Now, once you've done that, the Bible says, let the peace of God rule and guard your hearts and minds. What does that basically mean? That means as you're flowing in his peace, you're guarded by his presence, guarded by his peace. But when I begin to walk in God's peace, I have to let my guard down to become anxious. When that anxiety comes, what I've learned to realize is, is that God can give me peace even when nothing has changed in my circumstances. That brings me to my last point that I'm going to pray for you. Labor to build new patterns of dealing with stress and anxiety. It says in Hebrews 4.11, let us therefore labor to enter into rest. That just seems like counterintuitive. How do you labor to enter into rest? Here's an example of it from Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about them, cogitate on them, meditate on them, and whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. What is Paul saying? What I've just told you, what you've seen in me, what I've just taught you, it's not enough just to read this letter. It was a letter to the church in Philippi. It's not enough to hear it read. You've got to leave this meeting and practice it. In a moment, I'm going to pray for you. 
But when you walk out this door and your circumstances have not changed, are you gonna worry over them or worship over them? Are you gonna worry through them or worry over them? You can allow anxiety to crush another Christmas for you, but it's a choice. And if you will give these things to God, if you'll come into his presence, he'll not just give you a neurochemical jump. His spirit will flow through your spirit into your life. Now let me summarize this. There's no circumstance he can't give you peace in. Not a one. No matter what you're facing with that child, with that spouse, with that business. You say today, Pastor Jim, I need some of this peace you're talking about. Stand to your feet right now. I'm going to pray for you. If you've watched this message and you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, I've got good news. You can do it right now. I want you to pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life for the rest of my life. I acknowledge I am a sinner. I need you, my Savior. I believe you died for me. I believe you were raised from the dead on the third day. And I confess that you are now Lord of my life. If you've just prayed that prayer, I have good news for you. You have eternal life. The next step for you is to get in a Bible-believing church. We volunteer to be that church. But if not us, we pray God's blessings on you as you search for God's best for you. Thank you.